0: Good morning, yeah, worship went on a little bit, not long, but right on time, according to God's time, and uh, so I won't preach as long, I won't even preach, I don't know, I'll just share, but I always say that and then I'm like, found out to be a liar, because every time I say I'm going to be short, I actually take longer, was like looking at the Spotify, Um, I guess I don't really have a lot of announcements, but one of the things that I wanted to share with you is that um, a couple things happened this week. Um, I had a dream. You guys okay if I sometimes I share my dreams? How many guys know God can still speak in dreams, especially when we're deaf, when we're awake? You know, when you're not listening to God when you're awake, like He forces revelation on you. Now, we all have dreams, just physiologically. I took, I'm a psych major. We have, when we are in REM sleep, and then you wake up and you're disturbed during your REM, then you remember your dreams. So it's a natural occurrence. You dream all the time. But how many guys know God uses our natural processes to speak to us? Does, it, does that make sense? So dreams are not like God putting something in your brain. Here's a dream for you. Bam. It's like he's using our natural like, um, like thoughts and worries and anxieties. And then that dreaming is a natural way to kind of expel that. It's kind of like a emotional, for lack of a better word, emotional excrement. You guys understand what I'm saying? It helps us to like process things. So it's good if you have a dream and you're like, oh, what was that all about? It was just like you're you're kind of like stuck up emotionally and allows that to happen. Um, But sometimes they're like spiritual revelations that you're stuck, you're not tapping into it. And so through dreams, like, your natural inclination, your spirit is speaking, and this is all mixed in with our emotions, our thoughts, and it comes out. Does that make sense? So you guys okay if I talk about this for a couple of minutes? Because uh, I want you to be excited about sleeping. Because some of you guys are so, you don't want to sleep. You can't. You have trouble sleeping, and you play games, or you watch movies, and then you go to sleep, and you, you watch a movie about like demons, and then you have a dream about demons that God wasn't speaking to you about demons you just watch demonic activity on your TV and then now it's invading your life that's what's happening Um, so when you when I when I have dreams I usually a lot of times it's just like chalk up to like what I saw the other day or if I have a dream about my mom like yelling at me in my dream it's because I talked to her the day before does that make sense so it's nothing it's not revelatory but if I have a dream and it's random, out of nowhere, I'll re- and then if I remember it a few days later, and I jot it down, I remember it, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not even trying to remember it, but it just keeps coming, popping up into my memory. That's that might be a sign that God wants us to, God wants me to think about that a little bit more. So that's how I interpret dreams. Makes sense. And then I pray on it, and I talk to my wife about it, and I get con- confirmation and consulting on that. I told my wife about this dream, and she's like. I don't know, maybe this, maybe that. And I'm like, oh, I like it when you tell me because even in your presumptions, there's like clues, okay? So my wife's like, I'm not good at interpreting. If Somebody asked her to interpret their, her dreams and then my wife's like, I am not really good, but I said this and I'm like, honey, that is so good. That is really revelatory. She's like, really? I don't know. Anyways, that's why I really lean on my wife. So you guys ready for this dream I had? Because my whole sermon is based on it. Not even a sermon, like 20-minute exhortation. Is that good? And then we'll pray for each other, pray for some healing. Maybe we'll prophesy to one another. How about that? Sound good? Because I'm going to Bethel tomorrow. Pray for us, 11-hour drive. Me, Josh, Charlene, and Jocelyn. Taya, Becca, and Jacob. We're going to have a good time in Redding, California. Get some In-N-Out Burger. Without my wife, because she'll be like, that's poison. (laughs) You can go eat poison if you want, with a smile on her face. And I'm like, make me so guilty. She doesn't say that, but go ahead. So I'll eat it for both of us. So in my dream, I had a dream about a guy named Brian that came into my dream. And I have nothing against him. Actually, I like him. Well, I don't have any offense or like, I don't like really, nothing like that. It just popped up in my dream. It wasn't like I was angry or anything. But we're in a room, and some of you guys were in the room. And I was just sitting, and I just looked at him, and he was playing with this like kid. It was, and he was really enjoying his time with his family. And all of a sudden, I started preaching. And I went up to his face, and I started like, I wasn't yelling at him, and I'm like, I just started calling out his destiny. i like, dude, you have a calling in your life. And I was going through all these Bible passages, and I was just like preaching, and I was, that was the best preach I've ever had. I was like, my sermon was inspired by the Holy Spirit, almost like I don't want to wake up from my dream. God, why can't I preach like that in real life? You know what I'm talking about? If I preach like that in real life, you guys would be like, oh, Steve, you're like so amazing. <laughs> I can't, I'm not that articulate, but I was flowing, there was no stuttering, it was just. And then passages upon passages, do you know that God says, Jeremiah 29, blah, 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 call to me, Jeremiah 33, and I was just like going off. And then he wasn't listening to me, just kept playing with this kid. And I looked, went right into his face. Do you know that you have a high and noble calling, dude? Come on, man, wake up, dude, wake up. And he was just like ignoring the heck out of me. He just kind of looked at me and go, hmm. kept playing with this baby. And I'm there pulling my hair, the little hair that I have. What's wrong with you, dude? Do you not know? Do you not see what God has for your life? Oh, my gosh. Your baby is good. Your kids are good. That's all good. But that's not the best. There's something greater for you beyond what you have right now. You think this is paradise. It's not paradise. There's something more for you, dude. Come on. I was preaching like crazy in my dream. So hard in my dream that I woke up tired. No, I'm being, I'm being so serious. I had to get a drink of water right away. My mouth is soaked. Maybe I was like preaching in my dreams. Sometimes my wife and I, we talk in our sleep. My wife talks in her sleep, and I want to know, maybe that's God speaking. What is she saying? Sometimes she's just like, be quiet, you're snoring. That's like, that's not dreaming. That's real life. And I was just like thinking about it. I was thinking about what I was dreaming about, and then I realized this is exactly what has been in my heart for you guys. And then I looked up the name Brian, because I've never been friends with him for a long time, never looked up his name, what it meant. It means strong, noble, actually in the Irish Celtic like etymology, it means high. So I wasn't speaking to him, per se. I was speaking to his high and noble, powerful calling in his life. And then I, the second thing that happened to me was my wife and I, we watched Jesus' Revolution. You guys know what that is? Oh, guys. Can you, like, show a picture of the Jesus' Revolution? Now that's like hundred thousand people in Dallas. It's around nineteen seventy-two. Jesus Revolution. You see the picture on Time magazine. Time magazine. You guys know Time magazine? Please tell me. Oh, God, please, guys, come on. It's Jesus Revolution. Time magazine and the reporter like embedded himself in the Jesus revolution that happened in Costa Mesa, California that spread throughout all of America that landed in Dallas with a hundred thousand young people worshiping Jesus. They were all hippies. You guys know who hippies are? Come on. So go go through the picture. Like these are all hippies. like people who were doing drugs and Freedom and sexual revolution, all kinds of crazy ideas and philosophies and religions, and we accept all things, and come on, let's all just have peace and love. Sound familiar? I was watching that movie, and I'm like, you guys are the Jesus revolution. You are the Gen, Gen Z. I don't know how they name these things, but you are the last generation before we get to Gen A. I don't know. Do we go backwards? Do we go back to Gen A? so my grandchildren will be the Gen A. A plus, yay! (laughs) The A plus kids. So I was watching this movie and then I repented because honestly, sometimes I'm not the best pastor for you. I should be more compassionate, I should have more empathy and patience for you guys, but there's times I don't get you. And sometimes my wife and I look at each other, are we the right person to even lead these people, even the small amount of people we have? Because I don't get you. I don't get your generation. I don't get you what you think. Some things are so black and white and everything's so gray. I'm like, what's wrong with you, Taya? What's wrong with you? But then she's so nice. She's so nice and she's so loving and kind. And I'm like, oh, come on. So I want to I help, but then at the same time, I look at these guys and the way they think, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? Why do you think that way? Why are you, and then just rule so much, so many different philosophies, so much, so intelligent and so smart, but lacking depth. And sometimes I get frustrated, and I'm like, you know, these guys, I don't know. I don't know if I have any hope for them. But then the Bible says, yes, just hope for every generation. God never gives up. And, and God says, I have a powerful plan for this generation. But my flesh says, no, man, they're like, they're like come, I don't know if they can do anything. This is never going to happen through these guys. And then I rem, I'm reminded that these, these people were just like you, just doing drugs. <laughs> I'm not saying you guys are doing drugs partying, doing whatever, lost. Because there were so many wars and rumors of wars going around. They just felt dark. Everything was dark and the world was going to end. And that whole theology of Jesus returning, like the rapture, happened during this generation. And they were hoping for that because they were hoping that the world would end and they would go to heaven. This is like, this how this revolution happened. And then I was reminded that this whole thing happened through like a bald-headed, conservative pastor named Chuck Smith that just care for them they called out their destiny and purpose and I repented I repented that you have a high and noble calling on your life and I called out to God and I said let this be the generation that would usher in the presence of God that even Time magazine the preeminent magazine news magazine in the world will put Jesus on the cover. Do you know that the cover right preceding that cover of Jesus' revolution was another cover that said, God is dead. Because of the irreligiosity of America at that time. It was hopeless. People are leaving the church. There was nobody aspiring to understand God or connect with God. And they said, religion is dead in America. And then, the very next year Jesus revolution happened 1971 the year that I was born may that happen in my lifetime before I die come on somebody so I'm gonna get to 15 minutes of preaching is that okay And I'll leave it till next week that's very convenient because I'll be in Bethel and I can't I don't have time to prepare so I'll do a part two thank you Jesus you guys, okay, it's okay to laugh at church. You guys laugh like <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like you can't laugh at church. Weirdos. Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as, it was, I, was, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananai. One of my brothers came with certain men of Judah and I asked them certain concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, concerning Jerusalem. Now, if you have a Bible and you have an old school Bible, like I do, I still like flipping. I like the flipping of the pages. You just circle concerning. I asked them concerning the Jews, concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exiles in great trouble and shame... The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servant that I may pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Now, I want you to understand what is happening here. Nehemiah is nowhere near Jerusalem, never been to Jerusalem. Nehemiah comes out of nowhere. He's just working in the palace under the king. He's a cupbearer, a trusted employee. He's living in the palace. Can everybody say palace? palace. I think palace is pretty nice. He has a cushy, comfortable job. He ascended in his company. He's at the right hand of the CEO. He's a trusted consultant advisor because the cupbearer drank the wine before the, that was presented to the king to make sure he wasn't poisoned. So the, so the king trusted this man to even give up his life for the king. He was a trusted employee that ascended to the highest levels of his career that he can land as a Jew that's been exiled. But he was living in a Babylonian Persian area that he never even had a chance to go back to Jerusalem. He doesn't even have a connection. It's like my kids, they were born in America. I said, where are you from, son? He's like, America. No, son, you are Korean. I'm not Korean, I'm American. That's what he said when he was a kid. Let's eat Korean food. No, dad, I'm American. Let's eat hamburgers. <laughs> That's what, do you understand he had no connection? When we went to Korea for the first time, when he was, how old were you, like 10 or 12? He, he went to Korea, and he was like, what is this? This is so weird. We're in the land of Oz. Why do everybody look like me, Dad? Because, son, you are Korean. <laughs> Come on, boy. It's like he felt so weird. Like, why are all these people staring at me? Why are they speaking in this foreign language? What is happening, Dad? Son, you are Korean. He forgot his heritage until he married an Asian girl who liked Korean dramas, and all of a sudden, he started speaking Korean and eating Korean food. I'm like, but well, your girlfriend's not even Korean. She's Malaysian, but she likes Korean dramas. We watch Korean dramas, and he starts speaking Korean. And so when my wife and I, we start speaking in Kore- Korean in my car, like, he understands now, which is took away our secret weapon <laughs> that we can talk without them listening. So Nehemiah is that He is an exile. He's like an immigrant. He has no connection to Jerusalem. But yet, there's something in him that is calling out for his heritage. For something that is embedded in his heart. That he understands that his, his future is connected to who he is. God's original destiny for his life. No matter where he is at in his job, his work, his career, he knew he has a calling. How many guys know that your career may not be your calling? Career is just a vehicle to provide for you and maybe position you for your calling, but your calling is something greater that's beyond your job. And if you make your career, your calling, you're going to be sorely disappointed, because that is all about you. And Haggai, who is a contemporary of Nehemiah, or just previously a contemporary of Ezra, which has preceded Nehemiah. Haggai says, in one, he said, you, you, "You build your own homes, you feed yourself, you try to make money for yourself, but all those things are, are like putting water in a bucket with holes in it, don't you feel empty." You have nothing. Put first things first and all these things will be added unto you. Haggai is the first one that said it like that, that actually propagated that theology. Jesus just made it so succinct. First things first. Everything will be added unto you. Can you put on the chart? You guys can't see that, can you? Can you raise your hands if you can? feel like I'm in school? Can you raise your hands? Ming Bai Ma. That's what I say to my class sometimes. Ming Bai Ma. They're like, Ming Bai. Just to wake them up if they're sleeping. Ming Bai Ma. Do Jai Jian. Just for the Chinese population here. Okay, so what we have is Nehemiah This is Malachi end of the Old Testament 400 years until Jesus comes back The temple had to be built according to prophecy for Jesus come back but in between that time it wasn't the next day it was 400 years How many guys know you do what you're supposed to do and God will do what he was supposed to do in his time Sometimes we don't know what we're doing Clearly, Nehemiah didn't know clearly, but he knew that the wall had to be built. But we don't under, if you really want to see what's happening, basically the Old Testament is Israelites not listening to God over and over again for hundreds of years, and God said, that's enough. And the Babylonians took them captive. And then, just by God's providence, after seven years, they were able to come back And then under governor Zerubbabel and Ezra, the priest, they try to rebuild the temple again that was destroyed. You guys following so far? And then after two years of laying the foundation, they dug a hole, laid the foundation. People said, this is too hard, so they gave up. And this is where Haggai comes in and says, hey, dude, you guys are living large here. God returned you but you forgot your first love again. If you build the temple, everything else will work out. First things first, honor the Lord in everything that you do. And so they built the temple but the wall of the temple was not built, which so it just it's like the wall the temple was built and the wall wasn't built. So that means that anybody can come in and destroy the people of that city. There was no protection. And they tried to build it, but it wasn't built. People went back to, hey man, it's not the time, forget it. And there was great opposition to build, building. There was like individual suffering, people were attacked. People were like, just forget it. You know what? This is too much. And then Nehemiah comes and builds the temple walls. What took 70 years. He did it in weeks. And Nehemiah is not even a priest or a pastor or anyone else. He's just a normal guy who had a job, who had a concern for the things of God, and he had to leave his career to fulfill a calling. If you want to do anything for God, there has to be a sense that your careers can be, dropped in a second for a calling from God now those two things could mix career could be a platform to fulfill your calling but you have to hold on to your jobs and your careers and your vocations very loosely because if you hold on to that and you think those things are gonna fulfill you're gonna end up like Haggai completely empty that is a promise He says, what news? Somebody came back from Jerusalem, said, I traveled far, and I looked at the state of affairs of the kingdom of God and the temple and the church, I mean, the walls, and, you know, it's in disrepute, everything is in rubble. The city walls are in rubble, and people are in danger, and Nehemiah could have just simply said, that's for those guys. Really, I have no connection to them because I don't even live there anymore. I have a nice job. I'm very comfortable here. But his concern for the things of God overruled his comforts. And my question to you is, what are your concerns? If you want to begin to walk in the calling of God, it's not for you to sit down and say, what is my calling, Lord? Can I hear an amen for that? You don't sit on your couch and I'm going to pray and I'm going to read the Bible. What is my calling, Lord? It's not about getting a personal coach. I coach people. It's not about getting a coach and saying, hey, help me to assess my passions and my gifts and talents. All those things are good. I'm not minimizing all those things. That will help you find your career and job. And I'm not even minimizing your job and career and pursuit of work and you, we need money and we need to pay rent in this expensive, expensive city. Can I hear it? No amen to that. This is no, no. Can't even afford a house. I feel sorry for you guys. There's no shame in renting. It's not how you find your purpose. Especially if you're giving your life, if you say you did at one point, to following the Lord Jesus. Your calling doesn't come from assessing yourself. Your calling comes from assessing the situation of the kingdom. <sighs> My wife said, you're too intense. Smile more often. Try to smile. Try to smile. Your calling doesn't come from, what, is, what am I good at? Oh, you forever be lost and then you'll settle up for a job and then you're 40 and you're going to be depressed because you worked your tail off and you hustled in your 30s and you worked and worked to ascend to a certain place and you became the cupbearer, and then you're going to feel like so what you got a guy you got a house you got a dog you got your tesla i don't know what's going to be in 20 years not a tesla but a wrestler whatever whatever electric car is there, maybe there'll be flying cars. You got it. You got the thing. You got the new iPhone. You got a new iPhone embedded in your brain. Boop, 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 whatever you got. I don't know what's in the future. You hear what I'm trying to say, and you're going to feel completely empty, and you're going to keep trying to fill yourself with more career, more ascension, more education, more titles, and you're going to be in your 70s and getting your pension and your retirement, and you're going to be like, what was my life all about? Yeah, you got your family, but maybe your family hates you because you work so hard to as- to have a career and is nothing. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Now I could say these things because I'm 52. I've been there. How many of you guys know you can use the Christian platform to ascend to a certain place to make you feel good about yourself and make you feel respectable? That's Maslow's hierarchy of needs: self-esteem. But if you want to self-actualize, you want to know what you're really about, it's not about you. It's about the kingdom. And I have found in my life that my calling comes from the kingdom. What is God showing me? What is happening in the world? What news is out there? I'm not looking at CNN, Fox News, New York Times, whatever you guys read. I'm not looking at TikTok for my news. I'm not looking at... I don't even know how to use TikTok. I'm just lazy. I don't want to download another app. It's not Twitter. It's not not CBC. My news is what news of the kingdom? And where is the need? And the need is the call. Is not every single need out there. It is what is sparking, what is injection of God's heart into your heart. It's like, it's like the, you know, the heart defibrillator, boop. Something happens. You see something and you're like, there's a need. How do you think we started this church? My, my, my wife and I, we're very happy retired. Can you guys say retired? retired is good I felt like my father-in-law said how long you been a pastor I said 23 years dad and he said I thought he was going to get mad because I told him I'm going to retire and I'm going to be a professor (laughs) he was like in a consultant he didn't even know what a consultant is I was trying to explain to him he's like people give you money to talk give advice he's like why he didn't get it I said forget it dad I told him something that he would understand professor He's like, oh, good, Professor, good. You know, Asian parents, are so good. Oh, good, good for you. Wow. My mother in law said, you are just amazing, Steve. And I said, like, can you tell that to my wife? <laughs> can I tell that to your daughter? Your husband is amazing, the best husband in the world. She's like, I know, I know. Every time, right? We call London, Ontario, always ends the conversation with Have you, have you thanked God for your husband yet? He's the best husband in the world. I love you, Mom. You're the best mom in the world. My father in law tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Well done. It's good. You need rest. You've been a a good and faithful servant. I felt like that was God telling me. I felt so peaceful. Like, my dad's not mad. My mom's not mad. Everybody's okay. I'm I'm not going to be a pastor anymore. Woohoo! We're free. And I was, like, so happy walking along Falls Creek. Honey, holding hands, drinking coffee. We're like normal people now. I go to work, come home, and then I don't have to think about anything. Woo! And this is a hard part of pastoring. Is one of the hardest jobs because you can never check out. People always calling you. There's always something happening. When I go to work, I teach. People fail. I, like, failed four people in my class you know what, I don't, I, don't, I don't grieve over it. I'm like, why? Oh I don't think about it. I'm like, they failed. Oh, too bad. And I don't think about it, no. I gave you every opportunity to pass, but you did not. They'll email me and beg me, can you just pass me? This is my last semester, last course. And I'm like, I cannot. I cannot just conjure up 2% from the air and give it to you. Because that 2% represents like probably 10 hours of work. Do you I don't feel bad about it. Church, whole different story. I'm responsible. There's a burden to this. and we're tired. But you know why we started this church? Because there was a need. I'm not saying anything against any other church. We've been to many churches in Vancouver. But my wife and I have—we have a particular taste. You know, when you have a particular taste. Like It's like going to a city and there's no Korean food. That would be oh, hell on earth. If you go to a city and there's no Korean food and I had to live there for a long time, I'd be like, oh, there's other good foods, but man, i got, I got to have some Korean food. Do you understand? I just searched and searched for a place where there's somebody with our DNA. Things that I've experienced all over the world. My friends all over the world. I'm going to go to Reading this Cal- we're in california next week and we're going to see people from all over the world testifying about the goodness of god and that's what that's what jacks me up just like yes what are you guys doing in vancouver oh I started a small church of young people that's going to take them over the city that's what i say they're like go right, yeah this, they're like they believe it yeah and then they're like, how many churches did you plant? And they're like, 100. I'm like, okay, yeah. Woo, good for you. In Minnesota, Fargo, well, we just had five cancer patients just healed. Wow, okay. We're praying for healing. We're going to get there. Do you understand? I just thought there was a need. And when my daughter, during COVID, said, yeah, I don't want to go on online church anymore, Dad. Um, I don't want to listen to any pastor. I want you to send me your old sermons. That kind of woke and I was very flattered. I'm like, <laughs> my own daughter was, she's like I was like kind of a God's spiritual drug dealer, you know what I'm talking about? I'm like giving her all these sermons. Listen to this one, listen to this one. She's like, You got any more? You got any more? Got more? Man, I'm so desperate. I'm listening to your business podcast. <laughs> That's what you did. I listened. you didn't give me any. So I'm listening to your business podcast about business, but I got something out of it. I'm like, what the heck? Huh. And my son, who's on fire for Jesus, like worship leading, and, and then he's like kind of like just playing video games. And, and I'm like, what's going on here? And then I saw their friends and their spiritual malaise. There was a spiritual malaise. And there was this darkness this 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 uh, this kind of like you guys know malaise uh, this ambivalence towards the things of god this ambivalence you guys know ambivalence It's like nonchalant, don't care. Just like, you know what? There's no more hope for building the wall. Building the wall is kind of, we already built the temple. It's fine. The wall is fine. So what we get attacked? So what if we're mentally not well? So what if the enemy comes and just keeps attacking us and slapping us every day? So what? We're used to it. That's what they were saying. We're used to it. And Nehemiah said, no, don't be getting used to it. And he had nothing to do with that. But he identified with the people of God, and especially the kingdom of God, and the honor of God, and the name of God is in disrepute. So I am going to do something, and I don't know what to do, but I'm going to pray for four months. And I'm going to repent on their behalf of the people I don't even know their names. And I'm going to intercede for them. And I'm going to intercede for that city, and for them, and this passion became a prayer, and their prayer became a purpose, and God gave him an idea. And Nehemiah, why don't you go to the king and ask him to release you so you can be the governor of Jerusalem? And Nehemiah said, God told Nehemiah, be the governor of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah's like, I've only been a cupbearer. I have no idea what I'm doing. And he was a complete, he probably had like imposter syndrome to the max. And that TED talk it says fake it till you make it. it is all bull crap. For the kingdom, for the Christian, is you faith it till God makes it. It's not faking it. It's faith in it. Faith it till God makes it. I came up with that one myself. It sounded better in my head until it came out of my mouth. Faith, until you, God makes it. Man, I was like in, in, in this cuff and JJB, and I put that down, and I was like, wow, thank you, Jesus. That's a good one. Wow. Nehemiah didn't even care. Like, do I have experience? Do I, am I called? Do I know how to do it? Because it's all about, because he didn't think about himself, do you see? God called me, I'll do it. If God tells me to do this, I'll do it. Yeah, I may feel like an imposter, never, did, never done it. I've never even been to Jerusalem before. People don't even know who I am, but I'm going to step in, in the calling of God, and I'm going to make this happen because God's going to make it happen through me. Now, if you want a calling, that's the attitude you need to have. Stop thinking about yourself. What do I have? What is my passion? What is my purpose? What are my giftings? All those things will come to you as you fulfill God's calling in your life. As you are doing it, God will empower you, and he will pick out things from you. He will extract it from you, and you'll be like, wow, I didn't even know I had that. You guys understand what I'm saying. I'm not thinking about what is my spiritual gifts, and all those things are good. I'm not thinking about all of that. I believe that God will empower me and equip me with Everything I need to fulfill his calling. People ask me, don't you feel like an imposter sometimes? When you're you're doing a professoring, whatever you're doing, don't you feel? Some of my colleagues may feel like an imposter, but I'm like, no, because I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to be here to speak about God to a generation that doesn't even know God. Don't you think I introduce God to them all the time? Don't you think some of my students roll their eyes when I talk about Jesus? Of course they do. But there's others that look at me like, he's speaking the words of life. Do you think I care about those kids who are rolling their eyes? They're probably the ones failing anyway. (laughs) But I beseech them, come on, dude, come on. And I joke around, they're like, How come you're a Christian? That's what they ask me. I say, anybody, I got five minutes today, I ended early. Anybody have a question? Why are you a Christian? Is it because you're forced to because you're at a Christian university so you have to be a Christian? No. I said, I don't have to be here. I'm here because God called me to speak to you. Like, really? Why are you a Christian? You got a beautiful wife, amazing kids, your life is so good. You have a nice car? I'm like, no, I don't have a nice car. car, buying a nice car is a waste of money. You have a career. You want to know? No, we really want to know. And I share my testimony in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they watch my life. And especially when I'm going through hard times, especially last semester, they watched my life. And many of them were concerned, and they came up to me and said, I'm praying for you, Professor, I'm not Christians. And I don't even know if my prayers will work because I'm not a Christian, but I'm praying for you. And I said, God hears your prayers. And I, my next question is, like, How come you're not a Christian? Well, you know what? come on, man, it's time for you to walk across this threshold. You're at the threshold, just walk in. And then I found out that he went to this Christian club and some of them told me I think he's a Christian. It's my calling. My career is not my calling. My calling is to proclaim the kingdom and build the walls and establish the kingdom on earth. I don't know if you got anything out of that. <laughs> Just talking. I got a whole bunch of notes I didn't even talk about next week. The stand. Yeah, I ended just on time. We started 10 minutes late, so I ended at 10 minutes later. feel good about time management. I don't want anybody to get, i uh, mean twist what I'm trying to say, and say, well, Steve said, yeah going for a career is worthless. is stupid. I never said that, I said, it's good. Proverbs talks about work being good, but it may, it, it, it's not good when it competes with what is excellent. There's a greater calling for your life that involves not you, it involves God and the kingdom. If you want to find that there has to be this unrelenting surrender to god that you can give up your career for the calling if it comes down to it that's where you find life i can lay it down we've always found life my wife and i when we laid it down and my up something else and give me something else. Because I'm always trying to align my life to the kingdom of God. That's what gives me life. Makes me wake up in the morning with joy. Rejoice always. And my credit card debt is so high, and I'm not making enough money. I'm working, and my mental health issue is not going down. How many guys know that since we've been talking about mental health and wellness, I believe in that. I believe we should get counseling. My wife and I—we've gone many, we've gone to counseling many times, intensely, just for our benefit, for our mental wellness. I believe in that. But how many guys know that? Since we've just kind of like highlighted that, mental health issues in North America has gone up, not down. Because there's something about that and then mixed in with me, 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 help me, I don't feel well. Although that's good, it cannot contradict the greater truth of God, that God wants me well. me well for him that's the missing piece that's going to make you well so if you guys would just lift up your hands to heaven this posture of surrender every single day I do it every day in my heart, in my life I give everything to God every single day every single day trust you, surrender my life to you. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. That frees me. And then I do my job. You want me to quit my job? You don't want me to do this? That's why I never worry about job security, because my job security is in my, not in my university or this. It's in God. When my colleagues are worried about job security, my boss so we surrender everything to you Jesus you are our ultimate security in all things I trust you we trust you Jesus thank you for our careers and our jobs that we're pursuing but God we want a calling help us to align our hearts to what you want us to see, the bigger picture. Help us to find what is needed, fill that gap. Stir our hearts, awaken our hearts to your desires, your purposes. Get us excited. For a revolution even amongst our generation. I pray for this generation that there will be the new Jesus revol- revolution, that we the new Jesus people, that they will usher in the kingdom of God like never before. In a land that seems so dark, in a city that seems so, so dark, let it be this city that your kingdom will come in power, and might for these people in Jesus name Amen Amen let's give God some praise